This morning I'm going to uh, start a series. I'll be preaching, as I said, for the next four weeks in the pastor's absence. Then, of course, Di and I are going away, and we've got Don McDonnell and a, and a couple of other guest speakers coming. Uh, I can tell you now that after Don McDonnell, the week after that is um, Pastor uh, Brownie from uh, Paraparam. You remember he ministered it here last year and for the youth, so he's going to come in and, and fill a Sunday slot there. And then on the the, the third Sunday, but the pastors will be here, but the, just, uh, just so that pastor doesn't have to come back and straight off the plane and start preaching, we've got Pastor Jim Heath, who we had here earlier this year, you'll remember, is coming to, uh, to minister as well. So we've got, a, we've got a real variety, which is good, a variety of ministry here in the house, and, uh, and so I know you're all going to be absolutely blessed. I want you to be supporting all these meetings, and, um, and it's going to be fantastic. So I'm uh, starting a series of, uh, normally when I preach, I just sort of fill in the slots now and again, and and preach uh, one-off messages, but um, I've uh, seen I've got four weeks. I thought, well, this gives us a chance to to do a do a series, and so I'm going to begin that uh, series today, and uh, I'm going to be talking about the spiritual battle that um, all uh, all Christians are in. I uh, preached earlier this year on uh, a few weeks ago on on fear, fear not. Uh, and we remember I said this is one of the big things that Jesus said. I'd taken as a foundation scripture for, for a number of my messages last year and, and again this year, uh, Matthew 24. And we talked about the signs of the times and that we're in the end times and there's amazing things happening in the world. Um, and Jesus said, uh, uh, rather than not just the physical signs, but he said, make sure you're not deceived. And so we brought that message on deception. We've got to be guard ourselves and we've got to walk in truth. And we've got to make sure that we're not deceived. So I brought a message on that. And then I brought another one. He said, he further in the same scripture, he says, and do, do not fear these things. Because really, they're pretty daunting when you look around what's happening in the world today. And the, and the, and the, and the, and the term fear not appears over a hundred times in the Bible. And so it's pretty important that God obviously knows there's opportunity to fear. But we're not called to fear. As uh, 1 Timothy, uh, 2, 1, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, we've not got a spirit of fear, but a spirit of what? Love power and a sound mind. And we know that uh, fear is um, uh, something that uh, you know, the devil tries to put on us. And many people are. They're afraid. We talked about how people are afraid of the future. They're concerned about their health. They're worried about money, uh, even their children, family, and so on. You know, and these things. And the devil will try and attack our mind. And so we reminded ourselves, as it said in Isaiah 41.10, that do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you um, with my righteous right hand. And so fear is like fear. It, it, this is just a bit of a recap here. Fear stifles us. It, it, it paralyzes us. Have you ever heard of the term, you know, like a deer in the headlights or a, a possum in the headlights? You know, and they've seen that. In fact, I had that experience uh, once when I was in Australia, uh, but except it was a little bit more scary because it was a kangaroo in the headlights. And I was driving along the Nullarbor Plains. Have you ever heard of those? You're going right across from Perth to, to um, Adelaide and thousands of miles. I don't know how long it is, but anyway, it seemed forever. And uh, we were driving, and we were driving in the middle of the night, and it's just straight roads for mile after mile, hundreds of miles, virtually. There's just not a kink in the road, and you're driving. And it's hard to concentrate. Well, I remember I was driving, and then uh, all of a sudden, and that, there was no sort of, um, just like a desert. So the, the lights can be seen for a long, long, long way away. And uh, anyway, I'm sort of driving along, and this next thing I know, that I, I see these two little red dots right in front of me. And I slammed on the, on the brakes and bang, and it was this kangaroo. And I thought, why didn't he move? 
Why did he? He must have seen me from miles away. And he stood there, just paralyzed, like, like a possum, like a, just in the headlights looking at me. And um, I think he must have been frozen with fear, is the point I'm making. <laughs> and that's what it does to people. People can be so uh, fearful that they just can't do anything. That's, it paralyzes us. It cripples us. And it's, it, it's not good. And it doesn't come from God. It's a, an attacking thought of the enemy. And we're called not to be afraid and that we're to face our future fearlessly. So I thought, well, I've talked a little bit about you know, we've got to watch out for this and we've got to watch out for fear and, and defense. And I thought, well, hang on a minute. This is all a little bit sort of defensive, you know. It's like we're trying to guard ourselves. And I thought, no, we've got to move on to the attack here. I want to now bring this series. It's very much about who we are in Christ and about the victory. So we're not just in a, in a siege mentality, like, oh, we've got to be careful about this and about that and what's the devil going to do. We've got to understand who we are in Christ, what he's called us to do. And that's why I'm going to talk about the spiritual battle this week, okay? We're not victims. We have faith to overcome, to defeat, dominate, and triumph. So really, that is really the theme of the, uh, of the message uh, over these next four weeks. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll launch out. Father, we want to, uh, once again, just commit our time into your hands. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your word. We want to thank you for the instructions, for the, for, the, for the hope that we have in your word, Lord. We thank you for the truth that it contains, Lord, that we can build our lives on it confidently and assuredly, Lord. So this morning, Father, we pray that we would be informed, that we would be encouraged, that we would be empowered to be all that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. I liked what uh, Mario Murillo at the recent, at the recent ICFM conference in Hastings, the keynote speaker, most of you know, was Mario Murillo. Of course, he ministered here in the house as well. And uh, Mario was there, and I really uh, liked uh, something he said. He said, end times aren't happening to me, I'm happening to end times. And I thought that was quite good. He's a real positive go-getter guy, he's a revivalist, and uh, he, um, and he said that, uh, he said that, yeah, end times aren't happening to me, I'm happening to end times. It was quite funny. As I was seeking God and, and, and thinking about what I was going to, to preach on over these, these weeks and um, waiting on the Lord, and there's no shortage of material, but it's sort of what are we, what, what's the Lord saying now? And, uh, and uh, the God sort of, I was lying in bed just meditating this one morning, and uh, he said, um, oh, just go and check some of your old notes. So I don't know about you, I see a lot of people take notes on a Sunday service, I encourage you to do that. Some I've never referred to again in my life, I'll be honest. But there was early on in my Christian walk when I was very, very hungry and wanting to learn like a sponge soaking things up, I kept a, 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 a big a book um, with line pages in it and so on, I'd write, write things down. And so um, I thought, oh, I might go back and find that. So I went to, a, to an old drawer and I found this thing, this is from about 1996, so it's about 20 years old, and um, it was just after I'd been saved. And I opened it up, and I was thinking, oh, what's in here? And oh, this is some interesting notes. Then I opened up a page, and there's a whole page of notes headed up, Mario Murillo. And I'm going, I've never heard Mario Murillo before. I've never, you know, I've never met the man. I've never heard him before. And then I thought, oh, and then I started thinking, thinking, thinking. Uh, and uh, there was, um, I thought, well, it must have been a book or a, or a tape that I was given. And then I remembered it was a, a cassette tape back in those days, a little cassette tape. And I must have, must have impacted me, and I made these notes. So it was really good. That sort of confirmed the, the theme that I was going to preach on today. And so uh, it was awesome how God does that. <laughs> Helps me out when I'm struggling. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, um, so, yeah, look, church, we are. We are in dark times. And, you know, there's a lot of evil in the world. We see, you know, the immorality. We see the terrorism. We, we, we just see the destruction that is going on. And, um, you know, and I'm thinking about even abortion, you know. I mean, goodness me, there's like 13,000 um, 
babies, you know, aborted in New Zealand alone, over a million worldwide every year. Um, and I'm thinking, I remember Chuck Misler saying, you know, the, safe, the, un, the unsafest place on earth, it's not Afghanistan, it's not Syria, it's the mother's womb. That's the unsafest place on earth. Yeah, ouch, yeah. So, um, so yeah, we are, we, are in, we, are in, we are in end times. And the Bible tells us about and warns that, us about that. The Bible talks about great darkness covering the earth. But it also talks about the light getting lighter. And we want to be focusing on that. Um, Jesus actually says about the church, he said, you know, you, that we are the light of the world. He's referring to the church. We are the light of the world. And I want to give you a couple of scriptures here. In Isaiah 60, 1 to 3, another well-known scripture, it says, Arise and shine. It's talking about the church. For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and, your glory, and his glory appears over you. The nations will come to your light, and the kings to the brightness of your dawn. The church, we're a church of light. We're in a kingdom of light, and we're a people of light. Proverbs 4.18 also says, But the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines brighter and brighter unto that perfect day. The right, the path of the just. That's us. We're the just. We're the being, we're being justified. We're the righteous. That's what it's referring to. It's still referring to the church, those that call Jesus Christ Lord and Savior. We are like the shining sun. And what, is it, what are we doing? We're shining brighter and brighter to the perfect day. Perfect day being referenced to the return of Christ, the second coming. And so this is the church's finest hour. We are brighter now than we've ever been before. Even though it's darkness, it's probably darker than it's ever been before. We, the church, it's our finest hour. We're brighter. And you know what? The light shines brightest in the darkest place. It's more obvious, isn't it? So there's a sort of a contradiction here, but it's just so true and so powerful. And so we've got to understand that. We've got to understand that we are in a spiritual war between two kingdoms, a kingdom of darkness a kingdom of light, a kingdom of the devils, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Two kingdoms. Only one enemy, that's who it is. We're in a spiritual war. And, uh, but I tell you what, church, the thing is, we would not be here. We've read the back of the book. We know the result. We wouldn't be here if we couldn't triumph. We're expected, we're called to triumph and to win. And we've got to reinforce all that Jesus has bought for us. And we're going to be looking more at that during the course of the morning. We're going to look at reinforcing that and how we reinforce it, how we do that uh, through our, our lives here on earth. And it's important to understand that it is the devil. A lot of people think they're not sure about the devil. I remember when I first got saved, I thought, well, gee, you know, it's taken me a while to accept that there is a God. Uh, now they expect me to believe there's a devil as well. I mean, <laughs> I, just, I struggled with that for a while. But it's very real. And so while we don't want to give him any credit, and we certainly don't want to focus on, we face it, focus on the good and we focus on Jesus absolutely 100%, we need to be wise. We need to understand that we have an enemy, that we are in a spiritual battle. And we're not in a battle, it's in, it's in the spirit realm, not the natural realm. It's not against human beings. That's why Ephesians 6.12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, it's not against natural man, other people, but it is against rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, so it refers to a number of titles there, I guess, of the demonic field. Uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit later because there are different levels. And, uh, but the, um, uh, our fight is against, it's a spiritual one. It's against the forces of evil that are unseen, not other people. And I think the problem is that sometimes we are fighting too much amongst ourselves. And you certainly see that in the world. And unfortunately, it creeps into the church from time to time. But we're not to do that. We wrestle not with flesh and with blood, but with principalities, powers, 
authorities and the evil spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. So we've got to understand this. I think in the church, I want to tell you, share, about, share about a vision that I, uh, I had years, once again, very early in my Christian walk. Um, but uh, I think there are uh, two inaccurate mindsets of the church. Uh, one is uh, about the spiritual war that we're in. One is denial. First one is denial. And I remember I was, uh, I don't know whether it was a dream or a vision, I, to be honest, but anyway, God, I was like I was uh, in, the, in the clouds. I was up in, the, up in the sky looking down. And I saw, I looked down and I saw, well, I thought, oh, there's a church down there. There's a church. For some reason, God said, that's the church. And I, and, I, and I sort of zoomed in closer and closer and closer. And I looked down and, oh, no, it was, a, it was like a, um, I knew it was the church, but it was like a camping ground, a holiday park. And people were there, and they were you know, just going about, playing their games, everyone doing their own little things, happy, not concerned about anything else. They were on holiday. They weren't concerned about anything else that was happening in the, outside the camp. They were just there, like you could do, you can imagine, in the natural holiday camp. Uh, they were doing that. And, um, and I looked down, and, and, and the guy was saying, that's the church. They're, they're, just, they're just busy having a, a bless me club, and they're enjoying themselves, and they're, they're not doing anything for the kingdom. They're totally unprepared. And, uh, and so I, I saw that connection. And that's a bit... That's where the denial comes from. They're just in a denial that there is anything need to be done. They just, you know, basically, I'm saved, I'm happy, I'm in the kingdom, I have peace, I have joy, I have love, and they, you know, we're just in denial about the bigger picture and all the things that God's called us to do. So I got that picture. And then I was thinking further about this scenario because the other mode that I think that the church has got itself into it sometimes is not just denial mode, but then there are others that are in what we call survival mode where they're just trying to survive and get by. Just, Jesus, come, get me out of here, you know. We'll just get day at a time. And the sooner Jesus comes, the better I'm out of here, you know. And, um, and we're just, that's all we're concerned about. And so I saw that. And then I, God showed me that. Well, that's a picture of a hospital. We saw a hospital there. People just trying to stay one step ahead, protect themselves from the damage and the wounds and the fight. And, uh, and once again, it's a, it's, it's a defensive thing. It's a survival mode. So we have a denial picture. We have a survival picture. But of course, God wants the revival picture. All right, And that's why the whole theme, and we've been working as a church, and even the ICFM conference, and Mario is here, it's revival now. So this is a time. Rick Joyner once said, he said, the church has been camping too long. Then it started marching. That's good, but now it's time to actually fight. Engage the weapons. Engage the weapons. And so really, that's really the theme of my, uh, my, uh, my message. Today, we're going to look at just getting an understanding of the, of the spiritual battle, the spiritual war that we're in. Uh, and then next week, and the weeks following, we're going to look at what our weapons are. But then most importantly, we're going to look at how to use them to be effective. That's what we want. It's not, we just don't want knowledge, but we need to understand Knowledge is the beginning, and then we need to understand, and then we can engage with our weapons. So it's important that you, know, you stick with these series and make sure you're here over the next few weeks, because today, really, in some ways, is just sort of setting a foundation for what's going to come in the, in the future weeks. Okay, and Jesus said in Matthew 16:8, he said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. We often quote that scripture. So who's building the church? Jesus is building it. He's building it. He's our commander-in-chief. He's building it, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That statement in itself would indicate that we're under attack, we're under assault, there is a battle going on. But why would he say the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Obviously, that they are trying to, but they're not going to prevail. It certainly indicates a conflict. So I like to look at the church, and one of the analogies we have of the church is an army. 
uh, is as an army of believers. Uh, that we are, Second Timothy calls us soldiers of the cross, true disciples, engaged, committed to their commander-in-chief, obeying his orders, following him no matter what the cost. Isn't that what true soldiers do? They don't say, well, I don't think that, I don't like that, I don't agree with that. No, no, when you're in the army, you obey. You obey the commands. It's the golden rule of the military. And so um, uh, in the church, however, we've got a few, probably too many, conscientious objectors. We've even got a few deserters. But no, we are the true soldiers of the cross, the true disciples. That's what God's called us to be. And there's no, um, there's no uh, middle ground on that. We're under assault, we're under attack, yes, but we're the church victorious and we need to be part of the solution. Now you might say, well, hang on a minute. And this is what I said. Well, I said, I didn't sign up for that. I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I didn't, you didn't tell me that I was going to be in a battle, that I've got all this devil to deal with as well. I didn't, I didn't sign up for that. And that was very real to me. When I got born again, I tell you, I was saved. I thought God existed. I was so full of joy and the peace in my life. I was just, I was just euphoric. I thought, man, I found God. It was just a, an amazing, amazing thing. And, uh, and, but it wasn't uh, long before I realized, well, hang on, it's not quite... A bit of roses is, uh, you know, there is something going on here that I'm not quite aware of, and I was a bit concerned. <laughs> I was a bit concerned about this. I, uh, I, it happened almost within a couple of weeks of um, me getting saved, and I can, what I can I best describe it was like an attack on my mind. I've always been a very disciplined person, a logical person, um, and uh, never had any problem with my thought life. But it was, I was starting to get these random thoughts. But I wasn't thinking them. I couldn't work it out. What is going on here? And some of them were the most obscene, foul, ugly. Oh, and, and it was freaking me out. And these thoughts kept on coming. Coming, coming, coming. And I was trying to, oh, what do I do? What do I do, Paul? What's God going to think of me? What's God going to think? I can't think these things. God's going to think I'm terrible, terrible. And I was, getting, I was freaking out. I was absolutely freaking out. And I'm, as I say, I'm not an emotional, uh, unstable person. I, I'm pretty well grounded. And, uh, but this was really, really concerned because I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what was going on. And it was actually to a, nearly to a point of anguish, really. Um, I was trying to hide, but it was just too hard. And uh, anyway, I was lying in bed at night, and that's particularly when it would get me, before, when you go to bed before you fall off to sleep. And uh, once again, these things were hitting me. And then God spoke to me, and he said, He can't hurt you. What does he mean? He can't hurt you. And I thought, well, it must, must be the devil. I mean, I'd certainly heard of the devil by this stage. And um, he can't hurt you. And I said, well, I've had enough. I just I give up anyway. I, don't, I just don't care anymore. What can I do here? I was absolutely desperate. And I said, okay to God, I trust in you. He can't hurt me. I'll trust you, Lord. I don't care. I know that I can, you know, these thoughts aren't mine. I know, God, that you still love me and that you're not going to judge me because of this, I'm, um, that you care about me. And uh, I don't need to be afraid. So I, I, I'm going to trust you, Lord, more than I, I fear what's going on here in my head. And uh, so what? And uh, I wasn't going to try and battle the thoughts anymore. So I said, right, well, whatever. So I just, rather than having this trying to restrain, I just let, it, let, it, let, let my mind go. And I was lying there. And about five seconds later, I'm not joking, this is amazing. Uh, in, in my head, now if any of you, uh, I get from time to time, I get uh, what they call tinnitus, ringing in the ear, very mild, it's not, only comes to me now and again, you can hear it ringing, so you know it's not from outside the head, it's a sort of a ringing in the inner head, it comes from inside, well it was like, it was like that, inside my head I heard 
as clear as I, you know, as clear as anything, although you wouldn't have heard it because it was inside me, clear as anything, um, this screech. And it was like, ah, you know, and it got louder and louder and louder and louder in my head. And so I thought my head was going to burst. I thought, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, bang, it went dead quiet. And then nothing. No more thoughts. It was like my head was empty. And I was just going, what was that? What was that, God? And, um, and of course, you know, I realize now, actually, it was a demon leaving me. It was a deliverance. And I didn't know that at the time. I was just wasn't, uh, wasn't informed about it enough. But um, that was, uh, that was, it was awesome. And um, uh, the Holy Spirit, God just spoke to me, and his grace enabled me to respond in a way I needed to do. And, and I, got, I got free from that. I never had another problem with it. Never had another problem with it. So I realized then, that I've got an enemy. <laughs> I've got an enemy, because those thoughts weren't from me. And uh, that's how I realized I was in a battle. And uh, I did what the Bible says in James 4, 7. It says, doesn't it? It says, resist the devil and uh, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. So I resisted. And um, it was, as I say, my first real experience of, of I guess, you know, the battle that we're in. And so I learned a lot through uh, that experience, but I knew I, straight away that I needed to, to learn more. And I know a lot of you people, particularly if you've been in Bible college, will have had a lot of teaching already on these matters, but it's worth going over again, because particularly with the days that we're living in, I, I tell you, church. And so um, I listened to, uh, I read books, I got teaching tapes, and to find out what was really going on here, and, uh, and got myself well-versed in that. The Bible says that, that we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. But of course, it's only the truth that we know that sets us free. So uh, you have to know these things. But Hosea says that my people perish for lack of knowledge. So we have to be informed about these matters. So say we don't want to focus and get paranoid about the devil. He's just a nothing. But we need to be wise. And uh, we need to know what's going on. So whether we like it or not, I didn't particularly like the fact that I was in a spiritual battle. But whether we like it or not, we are. It's, um, and we need to understand the nature of the battle to be victorious. Any person, any military army that goes into combat will, uh, will want to know about the enemy. They'll study their enemy. What's going on here? What do I have to do to win? And so we're the same. That's why God's given us the word. That's why he's given us teachers. And so that we can know what's going on and, uh, and we can win. There's uh, no neutral ground. You say, well, I just want to conscientiously object it and get up to the side. Like, well, really, you can't. There's only, there's only two sides you can pick here. Jesus said, either for me or you're against me. And so there's uh, no sitting on the fence on this one, guys. So you're a Christian, you're automatically <laughs> in the battle. And so some of you will experience things. You, you understand what I'm saying. Um, but, you know, we walk in victory. The devil can't touch us. He never will. There's no problem there. And we're going we're to be looking at that because it's very important that we understand that we have an absolute confidence about that. So firstly, before we move to that, though, I want to, uh, I want to look at um, how we became involved in this uh, spiritual conflict to give you a little bit of background on this. Now, I'm only going to give sort of headlines on this because um, it was, it's a huge topic in its own right, but uh, just to give you an overview and understanding of, um, of, the, uh, of the origins and the background behind the spiritual conflict that the church is in. Now, remember, our battle, our conflict is with the kingdom of darkness and its commander-in-chief, the devil, otherwise known as Satan. Satan just means the adversary, the accuser. And that's why he tries to put guilt on us because he's accusing us to what you've done. You're not good enough. The accuser is the adversary, means our enemy. That's what the word Satan means. So, who is he? Why is he fighting us? Well, 
The Bible doesn't give us a comprehensive um, understanding of this. Um, not all the facts, but it certainly gives us enough information to get a reasonable picture about, um, I guess, about Satan, about the devil. Uh, the first thing we've got to understand is that he existed prior to creation. So the creation account we read of in Genesis chapter 1, we've got to understand that uh, Satan and the angels were, were before that. They're from the, the eternity era before the, the dispensation that we're, we're in at the moment. And so he existed. And you can read a fascinating account of, uh, of, of creation, actually, um, uh, of before the creation period in Job chapter 38, if you're taking notes. There's no outline. I'm sorry I should have mentioned that. You're just going to have to write fast. So um, Job chapter 38, well worth a read. And particularly verse 7, it talks about, uh, it talks about there, about uh, Satan being in existence prior to creation. And we read in a couple of uh, verses of Scripture from the Old Testament that gives us a little bit more information. Firstly, from uh, Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel goes on to describe him in this way. Uh, chapter 28, verses 12 to 15. So you, I'll read it first, and then we'll go back over it. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and full of, full of beauty. Perfect in beauty, sorry. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz and diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, emerald and gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and the pipes was covered, was prepared for you on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you and you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. So that is a description there. It said, when you... You were the seal of perfection. It's referring to the devil, to Satan. You were, he was a created angel. Uh, one of the scholars would tell us one of the archangels. There's indication that the, the, and there's a hierarchy in the, in the angelic world, realm, and, uh, and the uh, highest form of, of angels are what we call the archangels. And, of course, we read about the archangel Michael and the archangel Gabriel. Well, they say that Satan, or as his name in heaven was in those days, Lucifer, was the third arch archangel, all right? And so uh, this is reference to him in his, in his original state and how God created him um, in, in heaven. But, as the last verse says, till iniquity was found in him. And let's read from Isaiah chapter 14 now, where we get a further description, verses 12 to 14. He says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, it's another name for Lucifer. Some translations have the word Lucifer in there. How you have fallen from heaven, Lucifer or morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the uttermost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. So here we see, that Satan rebelled against God. He rebelled against Almighty God, who'd given him a, a, a wonderful position in, in heaven. They say that he was probably over the worship, um, and he was, a, he was the most beautiful of angels, stunning and powerful. Uh, and uh, he, uh, rebelled against, um, he rebelled against God. It says here, look, look, look at, um, and he was cast down to earth. It said, what did, he, what did he try and do? He said, I will ascend to the heavens. You look at all the I wills here. This is about pride. Say so pride being the original sin. Pride, pride, pride. And it's the same thing we've got to watch out for today, church. Pride. He says, I will, I, me, will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will 
sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly of the, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the tops of the cloud, and here I will make myself like the Most High. There's a rebellion. Rebellion in heaven. That's what happened. They came like a rebellion in heaven. Satan, and probably they, they say, if you look in Revelation, the book of Revelation, there's a, there's a strong indication there. There's about a third of the angels were with him. So like three archangels, they had a third under them, I guess, is probably how it would work. And they uh, rebelled against God. And God cast them out down to heaven. Jesus said in Luke ten eighteen, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So Jesus was there in heaven. At that time, of course, he's eternal, just like God the Father. And he saw Satan fall like heaven to earth, cast out of heaven because he rebelled against God, because his pride got there. He wanted to be like God. He wanted to be above God. He wanted to be in charge. Isn't that the same state with the human race? We want to be in charge. My will, what about me? It's the same condition of the human heart. But no, we submit, we surrender to God. And so he made this mistake and got cast out of heaven. So that's, And then he got cast down to the earth. That's where he came from. So he was in the heavenly realms, and he got cast down. And, uh, and he now uh, is down here harassing mankind. And we'll just now move on to show you how that works. So that's a bit of, ba a bit of background, very, very brief. Uh, if you want more, you'll read a lot about, um, I guess, uh, uh, the, the devil in the book of Revelation. So anyway, we come now, move forward in time, to the creation account. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so we, went, we go through that whole creation account that you read in Genesis 1, 2, 1 and 2. And then God created man. He created man in his own image. Okay, and he gave him authority to rule the world. So he created this world, the earth, for mankind. He created us. We read that um, in, um, in, in, as I say, in the book of Genesis. And in Satan, of course, who's been cast out of heaven, he says, Aha, what's going on here? Who are these people made in God's likeness? I'm going to see what I can do here. And so he attempted to get the authority from Adam. In Genesis 2.16, God had given Adam and Eve a commandment. He says, And the Lord God commanded man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from that, you will certainly die. So, He'd given mankind dominion over the whole world, named all the animals, he, but basically, you know, had given him everything. And he said, look, this is all yours. You do it. You take control over it. Uh, and you're going to be in fellowship with me, worship me, and we're going to have this wonderful relationship. That's why God created people. He created people for a relationship. That's the fundamental thing about the Christian life. We're here in this for a relationship with Almighty God. So he created Adam for this purpose. But he couldn't make us just like robots, that we just automatically are programmed to, to worship him. He had to give us free will. And so Adam and Eve had free will to choose what they want. So to test the free will, if you like, there had to be only one. They could eat, do anything they want, millions and thousands of things that Adam and Eve could have done, no problem at all. He just said, I'll just create one, one condition, one rule, and that is that you do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, okay? Now we go on to read in Genesis 3, verses 1 to 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say we must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will surely not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So here we see the serpent, which is the devil. The Bible tells us in Revelation once again that um, it refers to him as that old serpent of old, the devil. So the serpent is definitely referenced to the, the, the serpent is referenced to the devil. And he said to the woman, Eve, did God really say? And what's he done here? He's cast doubt on God's word. Same strategy he still uses today. Can we trust this book? Can we trust everything in it? Did God really mean that? It's his number one weapon. Then he goes on to say, Eve goes on to say, well, if we touch it, we will die. And he says, once again, what did he say? You will not surely die. Once again, casting doubt on what the statement that God had made. Casting doubt on God's word. Did God really say, you surely will not die? It's Satan's greatest lie. And this is it, church. We've got to remember it. You can sin and get away with it. You can sin and get away with it. No, you can't. There will always be a consequence. Thank goodness that we have verses like 1 John 1, 9. That if we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we've got to confess them. That sin hasn't got dominion of, uh, over us as, as New Testament believers now. But there is always a consequence. There's always a consequence. He'll have to say, oh, look, no one's going to get hurt. No one's going to mind. No one's going to know. There is always a consequence for sin. Which could, we could, if we had time, we could go and look at the example of David. God loved David. He was one of his favorites. And yet, look what he sinned. Now, God forgive him. He restored him. He kept his kingship. But boy, what a consequence he paid with his family being destroyed. Paid a huge price. So there's always a consequence for sin. Great. Satan's greatest lie, you can sin and get away with it. Here's how it works. There's two examples of how it works. Starts with here, doubt. He's putting doubt into, into Eve's mind. Did God really say, will you, will, you, will you really die? It's like people say, is there really a hell? Am I really going to go to hell? I tell you. People casting doubts. There's a big movement in the church now saying that there's universal and there's, there's no hell. We, must, we can't preach that. We've got to preach what the word says. So he said he places doubt. And then doubt, you meditate on it. It starts to become disbelief. And then the next step is, as we saw in that account there, we would go on, of course, we know that they ate from the fruit. They took the fruit, they ate of it. They disobeyed. And then as soon as they disobeyed, what happens next? Sin has an entry into our lives. And sin leads to death, spiritual death. And that's why Adam then was separated from God. And that's why we needed Jesus to come and bring us back to God. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. It's important we understand the background here. The other, the other sequence that, uh, of how it works is um, temptation. So there's a temptation going on here. You see, they saw, you know, look, this fruit's good. It will give you knowledge of good and evil. You'll be like God. They say, oh, this is good for you. So the temptation comes. Seems right in our minds. And we get enticed. And that tyst brings a, a lust, a wrong desire. And then we step out and we sin. And it leads to death. James 1. Let's just have a look at this. This, this says it so clearly. James 1, verses 13 and 15. When tempted, no one should say, 
So God knows we're going to be tempted. We've got an enemy. We are going to be tempted. So when tempted, no one should say God is tempting me. Temptation doesn't come from God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after they're enticed, desire is conceived and it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. There's the sequence. Temptation, enticement, wrong desire, sin, death, spiritual death. So, temptation. It's one of his greatest lies. We can sin and get away from it today. And just, uh, we're here, when I, when I preach and when the pastor preaches, we're always here to um, build and encourage and to, and, to, and to try and help people so you can be informed, so you can be empowered to live the Christian life. But I just sense, as uh, I was just reading that, that there's um, potentially someone here right now that has been facing a quite a severe temptation. Um, recognize it for what it is, friend. Uh, I'm not don't uh, don't know who it is, but I, I just sense by the Spirit of God that someone here is actually there's something going on in your life at the moment, where there's a temptation and uh, in your inner heart you're you're struggling with it. There's a sort of a justification coming, but there's also a, there's a bit of a wrestling going on. Um, I just just let this be the word of the Lord to you. Don't go there. <laughs> don't go there. That's where it leads. Okay. Praise God. Okay. So Satan's greatest lie: you can sin and get away for it, away with it. So, but anyway, we know that Adam, he got caught up. Eve got deceived. Adam bought into it. And as they sinned, sin entered the world. And now that sin nature has become part of all mankind that we've all had to, had to deal with. Satan had usurped Adam's authority and gained control over the world. God had given him dominion of everything. Given him everything. But Adam chose to believe the devil at that moment over God's word. All, all of that. It's just staggering, really. And, um, and therefore, he forfeited his authority to the devil. So the devil tricked him, and now he gained control over the whole world. And now Satan has an authority on the earth that was meant for Adam and mankind. And that's why the Bible actually refers to it many times that you'll, in the New Testament, throughout the Bible. Um, some of the other names that are given to the devil. He's now called the God of this age, uh, the, the Prince of this world. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, yeah, the God of the sage. John 4.13, the prince of this world. 1 John 5.19, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. And in Luke 4, verses 5 to 7, we read that amazing account when Jesus was commissioned. After John, he'd been baptized by John the Baptist. And his ministry started and he was taken out in the desert to be harassed by the devil. This was like a, a test for Jesus. And the devil led him, it says in verse 5, up to a high place. And he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. If you worship me, it will be yours. So this is Jesus and the devil. Amazing scene. It just boggles my mind every time I read it, really. And, uh, and he's saying, hey, look at all this. It's all mine. I've got the authority. All I want you to do is worship me. Just what he was trying to do in heaven. It's what he's still trying to do today. If you're not in God's kingdom, you're automatically in his kingdom. Whether you know it or not, you're worshipping him. That's the reality. Now, Jesus didn't argue with him. He didn't say, well, hang on a minute. No, no, this belongs to my Father in heaven. You don't own this. He didn't argue with him at all. He accepted the statement. But what he did do, he said, no, I'm not going to worship you. 
I'm going to resist you. And so we read on, I won't go with the rest of the account. He tried to tempt Jesus in many ways. So there is again evidence that, you know, Satan definitely has that authority in the earth. Uh, and, um, and so he's still got that to a degree. And he still wants to destroy mankind. He wants to populate hell. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to bring people to himself. And of course, God is trying to bring people to himself and populate heaven. And of course, that's what we're called to do as a church, to, to be part of that thing. And that really, that, ultimately, when you look at the battle, the spiritual battle that we're in, that's what it's ultimately a battle of. It's a battle for souls of man. That's ultimately what the battle's about. So that's the bad news, guys. <laughs> but as I say, we all know there's good news. We all know there's good news. And uh, we're all good to that. God so loved us. He so loved the world that he didn't want us to leave in the situation at, at the mercy of the devil. And so, of course, he sent uh, Jesus came to restore all that Adam had lost. Okay? He came to the rescue of mankind um, and rescue us from the kingdom of darkness. To restore us spiritually dead people back to God, back to our creator, and to gain back the authority that, uh, that Adam had lost. Uh, 1 Colossians, uh, Colossians sorry, chapter 1, verses 12-15, it says, Giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he, this is Jesus, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And we know that on the cross at Calvary, Jesus totally defeated Satan. He totally defeated him on our behalf on the cross. And of course, by his death on the cross, or his resurrection to life again, he made a way for us to come out of that authority and that dominion of Satan into the, his kingdom. Okay, And we did that, of course, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we were forgiven, and uh, we came into the kingdom of light. So, I just want to read from Romans chapter 5. This summarizes it quite well. Uh, and uh, in fact, the whole of Romans chapter 5 is a fantastic uh, piece of scripture. But we'll read from verses 17 to 19. It says, If by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, now that's referring to Adam, okay, through the trespass of one man, Adam, death reigned through that one man, Adam, how much more, how much more, Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Christ Jesus? Consequently, just as one trespass, when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, resulted in the condemnation for all people, also one act of righteousness, Jesus' death on the cross, okay, it also resulted in the justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners, also through the obedience of one man, many were made righteous. Amen? Can I have an amen to that? That's just awesome. That is it in a nutshell. That's what happened. And so Jesus came. And uh, that's how it began. And a battle has been raging between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. So before we go into battle... We're involved in a war. It pays to understand and be very confident in our position, I guess, to understand who we are in Christ, that we have actually nothing to fear now because Jesus has done it all for us. He's taken us out there. We're now safely in God's kingdom, his protection, his angels around us. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be afraid, but we need to be wise. We need to understand what's going on. And uh, we have nothing 
nothing to fear from the enemy. Do you know the church is called uh, to govern in the spirit realm? We talk about the, the five purposes of the church. I've always said there's a sixth purpose, and that is to govern in the spirit realm. We've got a natural government, but there's a spiritual government. It's the church to take authority and take back that which Satan has tried to usurp from mankind and to push back his kingdom and to once again establish God's perfect kingdom on earth. That's the job of the church. And so um, uh, we to, to, to rule and to reign, it said. Rule and reign with him, to have dominion once again. Oh, that's why the Bible talks about Jesus being the last Adam. First Adam mucked it up, but Jesus came and restored everything back again as the last Adam. And now we're back, the church. But only for those that call on his name. So anyway, let's quickly look at um, 10 facts that confirm our position and victory over Satan. Let's be absolutely convinced and assured of this, church. Uh, there's probably way more than 10. I'll just come up with 10 for now. Uh, and uh, that covers sort of the, the, some of the main points, I believe. Firstly, and we've already touched upon it, that Jesus destroyed Satan's power by dying on the cross. Hebrews 2.14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shed their humanity so that by his death he may break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. So since the children have flesh and blood, that's you and I, he too shared their humanity. So Jesus is talking about he shared their humanity. He came and became a human being just like us. When he came here, he didn't come as God. He came as a child born of a virgin and became a human being just like us, was tempted in every way just like us, understands us. He was a human. So he, did, he defeated the devil as a man, not as God. Okay? He, lived, he was the only person that was never enticed, never doubted, never was tempted. He never sinned. He was perfect. And so he qualified as the perfect sacrifice on the cross. Otherwise, it couldn't have been possible. He was the only one. He said, look, I will sacrifice myself so for all those that have ever sinned through the all eternity can have a way. And if I do that, then they can receive my righteous record. I'll do that. And so this was the divine exchange, as it's sometimes been referred to. So, he broke the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. It says quite clearly, through his death on the cross, Christ broke the power of the devil. In Colossians 2.14, let's have a look at another scripture, and 14. Having cancelled the written code, that's the law of Moses, with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So we read there that he has disarmed the powers and authorities. Once again, that's talk, talking about the devil and the demonic world. He disarmed them. And he made a, what? a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He disarmed all the spiritual rulers and authorities. So the devil and all his minions, all his hangers-ons, the different levels we've got, we, reach, we read about principalities, powers, dominions, authorities, you know, it's different things. I don't understand how, how all that works. We don't need to worry about it. They're all gone. They're totally defeated. Then, now, and forever. We don't need to worry about it, I mean. So he's totally defeated. Second point we need to understand is that Jesus, in fact, going back to his divinity, is the creator of all things including Satan and all the spiritual beings that he has under his authority. Colossians, book of Colossians, once again, this time in verses 16 and 17. It says, For in him, being Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, 
whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So don't get any, any idea that somehow the devil and, and, and Jesus are on the same level. Jesus is God. He's in the same level as God the Father. The devil is a created being. God, he was part of the, the original creation. So the devil is not equal with Jesus. So he created. So he's a creator of all things. We've got to remember that. Point number three. Jesus proved that he was greater than Satan when he resisted and defeated him when he was attacked. And we go back to the account of Jesus once again in the desert uh, when he'd been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Remember, he goes out to the desert uh, to start his ministry and he comes under this attack, this testing from the devil. And we read here in, in Matthew 4, um, it says, Away from me, Satan. This is when he tried to tempt him and said, Will you worship me? He said, Away from me, Satan. Um, worship for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left them and the angels came and attended to him. So we see an outworking of his victory on the cross. We see, we see, we see, we see, we see, we see, we see a, you know, this is before he went to the cross actually, isn't it? So, um, but he, we see a victory here. Um, we see that the devil couldn't touch him because he, he had not done anything right. He was, he, he was, the devil had nothing on him. And he said, no, I will not. And the devil had to leave him. So we see that um, he was greater than the devil in that instance. And then we see in point number four that the demons that encountered him feared him. They knew who he was. We read in the account in, in Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 29. Uh, Jesus was traveling around the area of Galilee, and uh, he arrived on the other side, it says here, in the region of the Gadarenes. And two demon-possessed men came from the tombs to meet him. And they were so violent that no one could pass that way. I mean, this was the major demonic possession going on here. And they said to him, this is the, the demons within the men, were saying to him, what do you want with us, son of God? And they shouted, have you come to torture us before the appointed time? So they recognized him. They recognized Jesus. They were afraid of him. Man, don't torture us. They were freaking out. They even said, send us to the pigs. But, you know, don't, 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 don't torture us before the appointed time. That would indicate that they know where they're headed. The devil knows the back of the book. He knows where he, where, where, where the, the, the end result. Um, and, uh, he, um, and, and so they're totally, totally afraid of a believer also that is filled with the Holy Spirit, is born-again believer. It's just the same for us today. They're far, far more scared of us than we need to ever, ever be any concern about them. And, um, and the demons recognize us. They recognize us too. They recognize, they recognize us. I, I remember once when I was, uh, we were sharing the gospel down, in, down the hut here and I uh, went up to one young lady and wanted to uh, share to her. And I, you know, those who have done my training and are in my training course at the moment, you'll know, excuse me, I wonder if you could help me. <laughs> and uh, so I approached this young lady and was, wanted to share the gospel. And she says, you can't talk to me. And I said, I said, why not? She opened up a, she had a jacket on, she opened up a t-shirt under, underneath and there was sort of this Marilyn Manson photo and satanic symbols and death. And I, and I said, oh, look, man, Jesus still loves you. And then she said, Jesus, don't mention that name, don't mention that name. She started manifesting in front of me uh, the name of Jesus, the anointing, the, the, the filled with the Holy Spirit. So demons recognize us, all right, make no doubt about that. It wasn't just, just Jesus. Uh, the demons recognize us. So <clears throat> they fear us just as they feared him. Point number five, Jesus delegated authority over demons to his followers. 
So we've now got the delegated authority. We know they fear us, but we've actually got delegated authority. Let's have a look at this. In Ephesians um, chapter 2, and also in Ephesians chapter 1, I, I mixed it up a little bit here. And it said, God raised us up with Christ and seated us in the heavenly places, high above every principality, power, and dominion. So we're seated with Jesus, ruling and reigning in this life through Jesus Christ. High above, high above, not just a little bit above. High above, at the same level that Jesus is above. Every principality, power, dominion, every devil. That's our position, church. That's our position. In Luke uh, 10, verses 17 to 19, Jesus uh, had commissioned the uh, disciples to go out and, and, and recruited more. And, and the 72 went out and they returned. It says the 72 returned with joy. And they said, wow, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. I was like, whoa, what's going on here? They hadn't seen this before. And he, he replies, and once again, we see that same verse of Scripture. He said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. He said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. And nothing, how much? Nothing will do you harm, will harm you. Okay? Snakes and scorpion, once again, a picture of the demonic realm of evil spirits. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, and to overcome all the power of the enemy, nothing will harm you. So, we have the authority. He's given to us specifically. Here it is, guys. Go. Point six. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God indwelling in us, and he is greater than Satan. 1 John 4.4 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We sometimes use the version, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. The one that is in us is the Holy Spirit. The one that is in the world is the devil. So he's saying here quite clearly, quite clearly, that greater, greater is the Holy Spirit within us than the devil is in the world. We're up here, he's down here. Remember, big God, little devil. Okay? So it means, with the Holy Spirit in us, that God, uh, Satan sorry, cannot control any Christian against their will. You've got to understand that. He cannot control us against our will. Point seven. The scripture promises that Satan can't touch us. As if we need more. He is more. It promises that he can't. In 1 John 5.18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. So who keeps us safe? God keeps us safe, and the evil one cannot harm us. Second Thessalonians 3.3 3 says the same thing. But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. He keeps us safe. He protects us, church. We have nothing, nothing to fear. We have authority over him. And point eight, we've been delivered, of course, as we talked about earlier, from Satan's kingdom and transferred into, the king, into Jesus' kingdom when we were born again. Colossians 1.13, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the dear son that he loves. So we're safe and sound in the arms of our Saviour. 
Point nine. The fact that the Bible tells us to resist Satan assumes, of course, that we can do it. And the statement, it would, it would make the statement otherwise. We looked at it earlier, James 4, 7. Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So all we've got to do is submit to God, resist the devil, and he flees. He must flee. He must flee. It's a, but the key thing here is that it's impossible to resist the devil unless you're submitted to God. That's the key thing. If he's submitted to God, then it's no problem resisting the devil. That's a bit like that testimony I had when I had those attacks in my mind and I got that deliverance. I just said, okay, God, I believe God. I trusted God. I yielded to God. And the devil had to go. The devil had to go. And it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's all about our relationship with God. That's what's the most important thing we have, drawing near to him. And finally, in point 10, we have been given weapons to fight all satanic attacks. Now, I'll read. This is quite a large bit of scripture, and we're not going to look at that. This is, a whole, this is for all for next week. This is next week's message, guys, on the scripture, essentially. We're going to look at all of our spiritual weapons. We're going to drill down on them and, and find out what they are, and we're going to look at how to use them. Uh, but let's read it for now, and, um, and uh, you can get an idea of what, um, what our weapons are. This is taken, of course, from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. It said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, therefore, so what is it there for? It's because we've got this battle going on. What's the therefore? Therefore, it tells us. Therefore, put on. The full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the fiery uh, flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I will declare it fearlessly as I should. So we're going to look at um, that whole passage of Scripture uh, next week. We're going to uh, see, um, but we see clearly now that we're in a position of victory. That is our current position as one of victory. It's already done. The devil is defeated, but we still are in this battle. So it's now to know, to be good soldiers of the cross, we've got to know how to fight the good fight, how to warfare. Okay? We need to learn how to operate in our authority. Um, it's uh, not just about protecting ourselves. Well, that's certainly part of it. But it's a full-on assault. And that's why the urgency of the hour. We're no longer, we're certainly not in denial or survival, we're in revival. So we need to be part of what God is doing. And so we, uh, we are on the attack, not just defending. We wrestle with principalities and powers. And you know, some versions say struggle, some say wrestle. And the interesting thing that the, the, the Apostle Paul, uh, when he writes that, is using the word wrestle. It's, it's the... Uh, uh, one of the only forms of combat that I'm aware of where it entire, en encompasses the whole body. 
boxing, you're just punching. Other things, you're kicking and whatever. Uh, karate, da da. But um, you uh, wrestling, it's like you're grappling your opposition. You never let go of them. It's a it's a tussle that involves arms, legs, torso, every part of your body. And so that's the description here. It's a, this is not some half-hearted deal here. This is a, this is like a wrestling match. Uh, and um, and we got to. Uh, Make sure that we reinforce the, the uh, defeat that Jesus has already put on him. Be like Timothy. And he says uh, in, uh, in 1 Timothy, when he's uh, summarizing, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, faith is a fight. We can't escape the, the fight and keep the faith. We're in it, whether we like it or not. And so it's good just to be informed and, and armed about it. Um, Let's just have a quickly, before we wrap up and close, I just want to give you a few more scriptures here. This is the Word of God. It talks about the Word of God being the sword of the Spirit. This is our main weapon, the Word of God. We're going to be looking at that a lot more in depth and, uh, and how to use that in many different ways. Uh, but obviously one way is, is, is knowing Scripture so we can speak it out as a weapon. Okay, absolutely can. That's why if you haven't got our victory program, I'd encourage you, get hold of one of the victory programs. And that's just full of scripture on different topics. And you use that to counter the, the, the things that are going on. You use that to break through scripture, our, our main weapon. And so here we look at some other great scriptures that just confirm, confirm our position, our authority, our victory. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. How many times? always causes us to triumph. John 14, 14. You may ask anything in my name and I will do it. What can we ask for? Anything in his name. Job 22, 28. You shall decree a thing and it will be established unto you. Decree. Decree. Words of our mouth. The Bible talks about the king's command being with great power. We decree a thing. It is done. That's why proclamation, decreeing things into the spirit realm, into the spirit atmosphere, one of my most powerful, powerful weapons. We decree a thing, and it shall be established unto us. 2 Corinthians 10.4, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So we're not talking about guns and natural weapons. We're talking about spiritual weapons. They're not carnal. They're not natural, in other words, but they're mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Both strongholds within our own imaginations, but also demonic strongholds. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. What are they? Mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many things can I do? All. Amen. And Romans, um, sorry, we looked at this before, 1 John 4.4. 4, Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Who's greater? The one that's in me. Amen? Okay. And then um, I'll just finish with this last bit of scripture here. We've got time. The, um, from Romans 16.20. And I, I put this in here because actually it bothered me for years and years and years. And in fact, it was only when I was preparing for, for this message that, I, uh, that I, uh, I looked into it and really found and got understanding. So it's good things when you have to preach and you're forced to do things. You find out things that you for years have wondered about in the Bible. You know how this is the old scripture sometimes? You're just never quite sure. What does that really mean? You know? Well, take some time out and you get into a concerted study and you will get the answer. You will get the answer, just as I did with this. So I'll try and explain to you. It's, uh, it's quite amazing. Who's heard of a um, Bible teacher by the name of Rick Renner? He was at the ICFM conference years and years ago. He's a Word of Faith man. 
great man of God, and he, uh, he has a fantastic understanding of, uh, of, of the original Greek and Hebrew, and uh, he, I found a, a piece by him that explained this next scripture. And so I'm really uh, plagiarizing his, uh, his understanding and truth that I thought it would be worthwhile sharing, because it helped me. So maybe it could help you. In Romans 16.20, it says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Or it might say in the NIV, it says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, I read that, and I thought, this is Romans. Jesus has already died on the cross. He's already defeated the devil. Why are they saying soon? Why are they saying shortly? And I've, that has bothered me for years and years and years. I couldn't understand that. I thought he'd already done it. He'd already got crushed Satan under his feet. Shortly. What does this mean? And so um, we'll look at the word bruise first, or crush. Same, same thing, different, different translations. And uh, let's look at that first. Uh, this was there's a reference in this to Genesis 3.15 where um, you recall um, it says that, that my seed will soon crush Satan's head. Okay? And then it goes on to say, and you will then crush his heel. And it's referring to the church. So G Jesus will crush his head, but we've still got a job to do to trample on him a bit more. Okay, so that, that you is referring to the church. So it, there's, a, there's a reference in this Romans that refers a little bit back to what, what was being spoken in, in Genesis 3.15. And so the word bruise or crush is taken from a Greek word called suntribo. And that word it, 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 presents the notion of trampling the devil under our feet. Okay, that's what it means. It comes from um, a word that was used to describe, describe the smashing of grapes, the treading of grapes when you're making wine. Okay? But it also talked about the act of snapping and breaking, crushing bones. In fact, it pictures bones that have been utterly crushed beyond recognition. It's a very powerful term. That's what crush. It doesn't mean just squash a little bit. It means absolutely grind down so there's nothing left. Okay? And that's got to be, got to be our attitude to the devil. Now, Paul, as I say, he says to him, under our feet shortly. And, uh, and, and it's important, this is, this, is, this is the term that I had a little bit of trouble with, it's important to understand that um, this takes the whole picture to a new level. Um, uh, shortly, some would understand, and I, this is what I thought, was sort of like the final victory. I thought, well, what it must mean is, I know that he's beating him on the cross, but this must be when he's finally judged and thrown into the lake of fire, um, that, um, and, uh, and it'll be, we'll finally at last get rid of Satan altogether. That's what I sort of interpret it as. But... Um, uh, it's not the case at all. Um, it, it actually, the tense of it in the Greek refers to, uh, you could say shortly or soon or speedily, it, appear, it, it, it refers to a present victory. It's a tense like it's, 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 set, it's in the now. It's not something that's going to happen way, way, way in the, way, way in the future. Um, and so uh, it, what it's saying is that he would defeat Satan he would crush him under his feet for the Romans. He was, remember, the letter was to the Romans. He said, well, guys, hey, look, you're under a bit of an attack here. There's some problems going here, but don't worry. I've dealt with them, and you're gonna, he's going to be under your feet very shortly. So it was talking then in that dispensation. It wasn't something, a prophetic statement. It wasn't a prophetic statement for the future. It was then and there, um, and he was referring to that. But also, here's the really, really interesting thing, is that the word shortly also uh, is connected to a military term, um, uh, that uh, describes the way that the Roman soldiers used to march in formation. And um, they were instructed by uh, their commanders, you are a Roman soldier, lift your feet high, stomp loud, and let everyone know you're coming through town. The sound of the stomping and the pounding of your feet, feet is a signal to let everyone know they need to get out of your way. And if someone is fool enough to stand in your way, or even if someone falls down in front of you, you don't dare stop. You ask them to move, keep marching, stomping and pounding, 
uh, even, even if it means you have to walk right over them. Isn't this an analogy? So, so we move on. So what does that mean for us today? Well, it means that the next time the devil tries to get in our way or block our path, we shouldn't stop politely and ask him to move. The enemy is stupid enough to challenge us. We've got to stamp right over him, right? God tells us what to do. Keep walking. Keep walking. If the devil tries to stop you, raise your feet. Pound down as hard as you can. Stomp all over him and march forward. Crush and bruise him beyond recognition. No prisoners. No prisoners. Amen? Okay. Now, of course, we can't do this in our own strength. As I say, we've got to submit to God and resist the devil. But, um, uh, but that's why. We're not alone. That's the reason Paul says, the God of peace, he's with us. He will crush Satan under our feet. In other words, this is a joint partnership between us and God. Ourselves, we can't keep Satan subdued in our own strength, but the Christ that's in us can do it. The Holy Spirit within us. And we're, we're partners, and, um, and uh, he has no chance of slipping out from underneath our heel. Remember, little devil, big God. The God of peace will smash and completely obliterate Satan under our feet. He tries to get hold of us or block our path. We act like that soldier, okay? We crush down on him, leaving him in a heap, trampled beyond recognition. The glorious truth, here we are, I'll just read this last bit. The glorious truth is that Jesus has already completely destroyed Satan's power over us through his death and resurrection. The devil was utterly smashed, crushed, and bruised when Jesus had victoriously, was victoriously raised from the dead. And our God-given mission is to now reinforce the victory already run and to demonstrate how miserably defeated Satan is. Okay, He might try and attempt to come against us, but he's merely using empty threats. He's all bluff. He has got no power. He has been disarmed. He's been made a public spectacle of. He is defeated. Never forget, the only rightful place the devil has is that small little piece of ground under your sole of your shoe. That's the only place for him. Jesus has accomplished the total, complete, and perfect work on the cross at Calvary. That means our breakthrough, our healing, our miracle, our blessing belongs to us. The victory is ours, church. And so we know that now. And next week, we're going to look more at, uh, at our weapons and how, and in the weeks to follow, how to use them. We're going on the attack, church. We're in revival, and we need to take ground every day for the kingdom of God. Amen.